Benny and the Jets as right rights the wrongs. Rocket the man as Cotton Coach Paul's commence. Saturday nights are right for fighting as power survives a showdown scare. And Tiny Toby dances his way to a two-week suspension for Dangerous Elbow. Hello and welcome back to AFL by Dummies. My name is Alex Henry. Joining me this week, as he does every week, is the electrician in charge of the MCG, the man working the phones, it's Tom Creaser. Hello, Alex. How are you going? What an incredible week of football. It was a pretty extraordinary weekend. We've, we've seen things we've never seen before, Tom, including lightning. Lightning stopping a game over in Perth for a good half hour before they were able to recomm- recommit. Uh, I don't know what that word is supposed to be. Until they were able to recommence. Recommence is what I'm trying to think of. Um, yeah, truly extraordinary scenes. I, I've never seen that at senior footy before. It happened once when I was umpiring a junior footy game. Um, but I've never seen it happen as, as high as the AFL before. A truly a new thing. Yeah, yeah. I felt like it happened once, they said on the commentary. It happened uh, what definitely at a JLT game, preseason match, and then potentially round one a few, five or six years ago. Um, but yeah, it was uh, strange to see Fox Footy turn into a weather report for a <laughs> half an hour. So it's just absolutely perplexing. All right, we've got so much to get through this week. It was a massive weekend of footy and it's been a massive last few days as well. We're going to skip our points of observation and just go into the quickfire news because there's so much to get to. Let's start with the Texan. The AFL came down with a six-week suspension since we last came to air. We've seen comments from the likes of Tony Armstrong and Eddie Betts. We've seen Taylor Walker's apology with Robbie Young sitting next to him comforting him. Um, what is your take on this whole mess, Ben, Tom? Yeah, the apology, I think I saw somewhere, I don't know who it was, but someone retweeted um, with a, a screenshot of the apology with a, a white man can read well, or something, like, something <laughs> along the lines of that, because um, it was so clearly staged. Everything down from the you know slightly unbuttoned white white top, all the way to the to the words that he said, um, yeah. And then you know you go from something like that to Eddie Betts on three sixty the, the other night, um, and it's a real stark contrast to where we are as a country. Um, I think the consensus is that it's a pretty light penalty, um, six matches and. 20,000, which is saying something because normally I think in yesteryear we would be saying that that would be a bit harsh. So at least there's something in that. Um, and the the conversations that that has started are definitely um, positive. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's just it still sort of leaves you with an empty and sort of, you know, unsavory taste in your mouth. What about you, Alex? Yeah, um, the 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 idea that the penalty was a bit light was an interesting one to me because I, I also had the initial reaction of going, I didn't grow up in an era where players would openly make racist remarks to each other on the field. So I kind of did, 
didn't know what to expect. So when they gave him six weeks and $20,000 fine, for me, I just kind of put in the book as I don't know what's appropriate here. Is anything appropriate? Like you could argue by one perspective that the AFL doesn't really have a right to suspend him, but then you could argue from another that the AFL has a right to fire him. So like, Mm. I, I, I didn't really get it until I learned two bits of information. The first one was that uh, 24 years ago, 1997, Peter Everett was made a racist remark to another player on the field and received a four-week suspension and a fine of a similar amount, I believe. And okay. to me, the fact that like we're 24 years later, so much more learned, and the increase that we've got on that is two weeks, two weeks. says that we haven't learnt that much. Um, yeah. And then the other thing was I, I listened to Eddie Betts last night and I just so highly recommend that y- you can find the footage online and you can find the transcript. And if you can't find it on their Facebook page or anything, the Fox footy for AFL 360, then it's available on the SEN app because Jared Whateley played it again this morning. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, on, it's on YouTube as well. You can find it anywhere. Just listen to what Eddie Betts has to say because I promise you, if you didn't think it was a serious enough incident before, you will after that. And honestly, like listening to Eddie Betts after he said that um, made me realize that maybe this maybe this is the last of Tex Walker. Like, I didn't think that that would be the case before, but I just think it's going to be so difficult to move on from this for him um, that... And I think maybe that's the right thing. I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I don't think I should be involved in the decision-making process. So I'm just going to leave it at that and move on because we've got so much else to cover. Tom, the Victorian lockdown has been extended for another week today and it is mm-hmm. seriously putting the pressure on whether or not we're going to see crowds for finals, let alone a grand final. There will be no further crowds for the rest of the AFL regular season. There will be no crowds likely for the first weekend of finals if games are held in Melbourne. For the next two weeks after that, before the grand final, we could potentially see crowds in Melbourne for finals. And I don't know if you were being optimistic by the grand final day, maybe 40,000 at best. That seems unlikely. It, It would probably by progression be less than that. Do you think that the grand final will be moved? And are you happy about that? Are my two questions, Tom. Yes, I think it will be moved. I think as a Victorian, we all have a uh, traumatic sense of pessimism um, over the last 20 months um, or so. Um, So whenever someone says, you know, oh, there could be, you know, 40,000 at the G by, you know, semi or preliminary final weekend, I just highly highly doubt that. and honestly, as a spectator, you know, watching it on the TV at the moment, I would prefer any game to be in front of a full Optus Stadium or even, you know, a full, you know, down in Tassie, even for a, for a you know, a West Coast Sydney grand final, uh, West Coast Sydney first week of finals, let's say. Um, so I am resigned to the fact that it will be moved. Um which kind of sucks. I wonder, you know, as the the media 
representative here. I wonder how the MCC is going to deal with that um, because the contract is pretty airtight at the moment. And, you know, no MCJ grand final for two years in a row mm. might actually cause some heart attacks up in the MCC members box. Um, so I don't know how they're going to get away with it. But, yeah, I just – I. And, I, at least the Optus Stadium is is a super super nice stadium, and the spectacle will still be there, mm. um, even if it's to you know no West Coast or Frio come Grand Final day. Um, but yeah, I don't really have any faith. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. I I just don't think it's likely that there will be crowds of any kind of magnitude more than maybe a quarter full if we were to have a Grand Final yeah. in Melbourne, and I don't want that. That's going to be not good to look at. Um, it's not going to be a good atmosphere. We don't want that for any of the finals, in my opinion, let alone a grand final. Um, so given the the tendency of the West Australian government to lock down everyone with even one case, I'd be very careful about um, moving it to Western Australia as well. Interesting. Um didn't think about I, that. I think that out of all of this, I'm surprised that the Adelaide Oval is not getting more talk. Like the stadium holds 50,000, only 10,000 mm. less than um, Optus Stadium. Only five, four or five years ago, it was the darling of the sports world when it was reintroduced for some of those showdowns and the Adelaide Oval test. And it was this beautiful new stadium. Um, it is. It's, very, it's really nice. So I, I don't know. I, I don't understand why that's not being assessed as a better option, but... It'll be easy to get teams in and out of. They've had much more success moving teams in and out of um, South Australia than they have out of Western Australia. So, I don't know. My, my thing would be just move it. Let's move it. Get it over and done with. The sooner the better. Yeah, 100%. And now it's time for our main story. In a season marred by COVID chaos, racist rows, board backings, and Jeff Kennett, the shining light of the AFL in the darkness has been the Tribunal, which has quite spectacularly managed to fuck everything up this season. Three players went to the Tribunal on Tuesday, with the biggest story among them being the case of the GWS temporary captain, Toby, I promise I won't kick anyone again, Green. Green was suspended after raising an elbow in a fending motion into the throat of Dangerfield, who suffered a bruised Larry Bird. No, sorry, a bruised Larry David. No, 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 sorry, I finally got it. A bruised Onyx. Ugh, I give up. The incident was compared to the Bailey, guess what I use as hair gel, Fritch incident earlier in the season, in which he was given a one-week suspension before having it overturned at the tribunal. So, was the decision compared to the very similar Fritch incident at the tribunal and used as precedent. Of course not, and it was considered not relevant because it occurred this season, and clubs are only allowed to provide incidences from previous seasons as examples of precedents. This is in addition to the Lance Franklin elbow from last week, in which Franklin's suspension was overturned specifically because of the precedent set this season, by other players who were not suspended for the same action. Call me Marvin Gaye, because what's going on? The backwards nature of the MRO was on show again, as Joel Selwood and Brandon Starsevich 
each elected to bump made contact with the head and failed to receive a suspension. The AFL demands the protection of the head. It's consistent in its language and inconsistent in its actions. And because of this, the AFL is now like your dickhead boyfriend. It wants you to change, but isn't willing to change themselves. And if you don't believe the MRO and the tribunal are further divided than ever, have a look at the case of Mason Simply Redman. The MRO suspended Redman for a dangerous tackle that was deemed medium impact. The tribunal then downgraded it to low impact, which if that is low impact, then I'm not sure what's this podcast reach would be described as. Then the AFL argued there was potential for the dangerous tackle to cause serious injury, to which the tribunal said no, Redmond's tackle did not have the potential to cause serious injury. If that's the case, I might go out with a sledgehammer and start whacking people in the head, because I'm not sure what would cause a serious injury. Wow, Tom, I'm not going to lie, this was one of the most disappointing weeks I've ever had viewing the tribunal and the match review office from the outside because in some ways everything panned out as I expected it to and that disappointed me all the more. <laughs> yes, exactly right. I, the unfortunate precedent set from earlier incidents similar to the Selwood and Stasevich one this season, just as soon as I saw them, I'm like, he deserves a week, he's not going to get it. Like, I, I, it stuns me. It stuns me how much the AFL likes to tell us that the head is sacrosanct, that there, there is, if you <laughs> elect to bump, Tom, if you elect to bump, then you are culpable for the damage, but you're not culpable for the action. No, it's all outcome-based. It's all has been. I wonder if it'll get changed next year because if it gets changed next year, then the fallout will be substantial. Mm. I I genuinely believe they do need to rewrite this. There there needs to be more consequence placed on the action and not the outcome. And there needs to be higher penalties for lower impact injuries for the head. Yeah, yeah. And this needs to be if you elect to bump and you get the head, it's automatic suspension, even if they get straight back up. It just needs to be a mandatory mandatory suspension or um, uh, at least a mandatory tribunal hearing um, because it's just getting out of hand at this point. Um, And then, yeah, the other thing with uh, Toby Green. um, So I heard today that that you can ask for precedence, but the GWS didn't want to use it for some reason. Um, And so the result was uh, lowering from uh, two weeks down to one uh, rather than it maintain that it had the same impact as the previous elbows um, Mm. uh, earlier in the season. We said in that story that um, they weren't allowed to present it. I've heard both and now I don't know what to believe. Um, I, I, I'm just very unsure about it all. If if it wasn't considered a similar issue, I don't understand why then it was ruled that the impact was the same as the Fritch incident. So what was, because initially I thought that was the difference. That was why they were not considered similar was because the impact was high. Um, 
but I, I don't. Tom, this is a mess. I can't. I can't Absolutely. follow it. It needs just needs to be completely overhauled next year. Yeah. And I think you know, as they're reading out the Norm Smith Medal, they will be planning on the overhaul um, for 2022. I hope so. All right, Tom. Let's get into our first battle round for this week. All right, I'm going to kick us off this week, Tom. Um, and I don't know if you were aware, but there was a new movie released this week, or last in the last week. It was very popular. I don't know if you heard. Um, this is actually an AFL-made movie about um, okay. the stories of AFL players. Um, it's called The Suicide Squad. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes, it's, good it's reviews, kind of a, good reviews. Good reviews, yeah. It's it's been kind of a, a remake slash kind of sequel to the 2016 Andrew Demetria film. I don't know if you saw that one. <laughs> no, I didn't. What's it called? Uh, it's just called Suicide Squad. Andrew Demetria's <laughs> film. You know, you haven't seen it. <laughs> so this newer, the Suicide Squad, uh, directed by Gillian McLaughlin, um, yeah. is supposed to be a different vision for the AFL now. So um, I've, I've actually got some information, so for those that haven't seen the film yet, about some of the new characters in this film, some of the returning characters in this film, um, and about some of how they relate to the film. So let's run through some of the characters, shall we? Um, yep. So first of all, there's Savant, uh, who's a sharpshooter that as soon as he joins the big leagues, panics and becomes rubbish. Um <laughs> I believe his uh, I believe his real life name is Ben Brown. <laughs> okay, that's a bit rough to Ben, but <laughs> right. Hey, I didn't write the film, Tom. I didn't. I didn't write the film. Blame <laughs> Gillen. It's his narrative. Okay. Um, then there's then there's Blackguard. Blackguard. Uh, Blackguard is a traitor that gets everyone else killed. Um, I believe his human name is Israel Foyal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> a lot of people died, but he's uh, Then there's TDK or the detachable kid. Um, he uses his arms as weapons, like almost independently from his body. Um, of course, he's none other than Toby Green. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. That's his disguise. Um, there's Weasel, who's half human, half animal. He's the product of testing in an attempt to create a beast. Um, of course, that's Matt Rowell in disguise. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, Javelin. Uh, this guy really likes long poles. And I, was tr- I tried to work out who could be the one person that really likes to, really likes to get themselves up and, up and on top of long poles in the AFL. And I realized, you know who it must be under that mask? It's Dane Rampy Tom. <laughs> yes. What a reference. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> That is an old school AFL reference, that one. Um, then there's Mongal. She's an alien from another world that loves racking up a good kill count. Aaron Phillips, of course, has gone undercover yeah. there. Um, Easy. The Polka Dot Man is um, quoted by director Gillan McLaughlin as the dumbest character of all time, both laughable and tragic. Um, this is, of course, the AFL Tribunal. <laughs> Yay. Yes, it is. Um Rap Catcher 2, who is the only person you like in the whole thing, in the experience, that's Eddie Betts. Um, Captain Boomerang uh, is a relic from the olden days of five years ago that everyone wishes would just go away. Um, Take a guess who that might be, Tom. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think I've got an inkling. <laughs> does his name start with a T? <laughs> it does, Tom. Uh, yeah. The big Texan, Taylor Walker, he's gone undercover as Captain Boomerang. Uh, King Shark, Tom, King Shark. We need, we need a guy that spent most of his career up on those manly beaches. Big, dumb, and utterly terrifying. It is, of course, Barry Hall. Yeah. Um, now, Amanda Waller is an interesting one because you would have thought, well, Amanda Waller is who she is, you know, that's not, there's no person undercover, but actually I discovered that Amanda Waller is a costume being worn by the villain, you know, pulling the strings that says things that makes everyone hate them. So of course it must be Damien Hardwick under there. <laughs> what a puppet master. I think yeah. that's very apt. Um, then there's Rick Flagg, uh, the hard-nosed field commander who's just trying to do the right thing. But who is he really, Tom? Shannon Hearn. Yeah. Yeah. Got the hairline and everything. I, I think you'll enjoy this one. Peacemaker, who was one of my fa- favorite characters in this new version. Um, peace, the Peacemaker wants equality so badly that they're willing to destroy everyone in the process to achieve that. And if I haven't heard a more apt description of, of the football department soft cap, then I, I don't know what is. <laughs> That's good. That one is my favorite. You do know me. <laughs> um, Bloodsport. Bloodsport is basically just a retread of the older, arguably worse version from the past, the past decade. So, of course, that's Jack Raywald. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. That's, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, and finally, finally, um, Harley Quinn, you know, the, the only one here that is successful enough to build a franchise on top of, Tom, is Josh Kelly. <laughs> million dollars a year for eight years. That's about right for Harley. I think I'd take that. Yeah, I believe that was about how much um, Birds of Prey made at the box office. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, that's that's my segment this week. Gonna keep it nice and short. The Suicide Squad, go check it out, featuring all of your favorite AFL players, tribunals, and soft caps. <laughs> nice, nice. I think that'll be on Paramount Plus next week. Okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Everything's on Paramount Plus, Tom. <laughs> At least if you ask them. If you look in reality, <laughs> nothing is on Paramount Plus, Tom. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, Alex, so my stat for this week. So I was just looking around and I saw a very interesting top 10 list. Um, that I wanted to see your thoughts on. Um, it was the recruits of the year. Oh yes. So top ten recruits of the year. You got two games to go of the home and away season. Let's yep. just have a look um, at the the top the top ten that they've put out and see if there's any difference. So um, I think we'll start with number ten. So they've mm-hmm. put. Peter Wright at 10 as the 10th best recruit for the season. He was swapped for a fourth round pick, which is extremely low. Um, He just kicked seven against the Bulldogs, but he has been relatively consistent with uh, 25 goals, 13 in 18 games. Um, 
and they have put him above the likes of Adam Saad, Oleg Markov, and Jack Higgins for 10th spot. That's probably accurate. I, I don't think... I'm torn on Peter Wright because part of me says um, everyone's a bit overreacted a little bit to his weekend's performance. It was an amazing performance, but tall forwards do this sometimes. They have an amazing game once a season and they're still not that amazing players. What makes him one of the recruits of the season and worthy of a spot in that top 10 is, as you said, value for money. Fourth round picks are junk. They almost never turn into players that have sustained AFL careers. And Peter Wright still has a ton of potential. He's still young. He could develop into the player we hope he he can be. And if he does, well, he's going to be a hell of, worth a hell of a lot more than a fourth round pick in a few years. Yeah, 100%. Um, at nine, we've got Sean Higgins. So it was, uh, you know, a year or two left in his career, basically, and went over to the Cats for pick 30. Um He's been a little inconsistent, having only played 14 games this season. But when he does get on the park, he is pretty consistent with getting less than 20 disposals in only two of the 14 matches and at least one goal assist in 10 of those uh, 14 matches, which is a pretty good return on investment for an ageing star. Um, yeah, I think that's a pretty solid deal, pretty consistent. Uh, you know, exactly what they wanted. I don't think they expected him to play every season. Yeah, I think we'll see the other two Geelong pickups higher on the list. I think they've been the more successful ones. Um, when they made this trade, I think that... Um, I, I really rate Sean Higgins as a player. I've rated him for the last five or six years. I think he's an elite ball user that is rare in the competition for somebody that can accumulate and use it well. Um pick 30 is a lot though for somebody that's only got a few years left in their career even though he is as good as he is um and i did think that at the time and he hasn't quite had the impact i would have liked him to have had if i was such a long fan but come he's the kind of player where come grand final day if he's fit he's who you want he'll show up he'll be fine 100 percent. now this one is the most interesting of the list at eight they've put Brad Crouch to St Kilda, um, which is uh, interesting. They've said yeah. that he's, you know, been pretty consistent in a team that has been inconsistent. Um, I don't know, statistics have backed that up. Um, but, you know, he did start quietly. But as St Kilda has gotten better, he has also uh, vastly improved. Um, I don't think I would put him... Anywhere near eighth, though, would you? I, I'm not thrilled by either of the other two on the list in a way that would make me think, wow, Brad Crouch needs to be lower. Um, but I think he's had a pretty medium first season. He's had some really good games. He's had some really, really average games where he's gone missing. I, I would yeah. say, for me, his season is, in a lot of ways, reflected St Kilda's season. Well, you watch him some weeks and think, oh, yeah, he's an A-grader. This team's ready yeah. to go. And then there are just some weeks when you think, do you even care? And those weeks are the difference between being medium and being elite because the best don't yeah. do that. Yeah. So. 
Yeah. For, you know, they did say he was consistent statistically, but, you know, just from I, the look of the yeah. game, I just doesn't really back that up. Um, at seven, they've put Jaden Stevenson. Now, that's pretty That's pretty stiff for, for Jadas, I would say. Um, you know, 2018 Rising Star, six overall pick from Collingwood in the now infamous salary cap debacle. He's averaging just a touch under 20 disposals a game. Um, which is uh, pretty elite. I think it's elite. He has elite averages for possessions, marks, clearances, and meetings gained, which um, the is pretty pretty amazing for the price that they got him. Um, yeah, uh, I think he's a pretty solid pick. Um, yeah, pretty unlucky to be this low on the list. Yeah, in round one, I think he had 34 possessions or something. Everybody went, wow, this is the worst deal of all time for Collingwood. And then over the course of the rest of the season, he's been fine. I I don't think this is as slow. I I think it's a more accurate position, to be honest. I think it's a good deal for North Melbourne. I think they picked him up. I think he should improve. He hasn't spent as much time in the midfield as I would have expected. I, I thought he was going to be an out-and-out midfielder, but with the likes of Cunnington, who's, I swear to God, he gets better every year. Um, Jai Simpkins playing really good footy. Luke Davis-Uniak is developing. And some of the high-end draft picks that they've had go through there, Phillips and Powell. Um, Taron Thomas has had a really good season as well. He's kind of been pushed out into playing that more half-forward midfielder role like Taron Thomas, who's in on rotation. Um, And he's had an impact up forward, which has helped, but... I don't feel like we've got to this year and I don't think I know where his future is yet. So that's why I'd be a little hesitant. He's kind of a bit in between. Yeah, yeah. He's got a, still got a big, big upside, but hasn't hit that ceiling yet. Yeah. Um, at six, I think I'm going to do some editorializing here. We don't going to really discuss it. But six, it's Jeremy Cameron because <laughs> it's Jeremy Cameron. He's played the least amount of games on this list and has... Still the sixth best recruit. If he played every game for the year, he'd probably be number one. He's I don't, I don't think it would away. be probably, Tom. I just Jeremy yeah, Cameron is one of the most impact per minute moment players in the AFL. Like, yeah, he's an absolute yeah, monster. If he's healthy, he is yeah. so clearly the recruit of the year. Just wait until finals. Just, um, just, far- we'll just wait until finals and watch it. <laughs> at five... Um, Nick Hind, um, an absolute steal um, for Essendon. You know, they lost Sard in a pretty ugly dispute at the start of the year, and they just found someone who's probably faster and probably a little bit more um, efficient with by foot, um, which is a bit ridiculous. Um, he is ranked 14th for kicks, 4th for bounces, he averages 431 metres gained and he's elite for score involvements. Um, an absolute steal. Yeah, I always love seeing a forward go to the back line and seeing how they do because you get a bit of a mixed bag. Um, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have said he was in the All-Australian squad. That's how well he was playing. Yeah. He was just tearing up opposition um, teams. The last month he's really struggled. Um, I but have him in my Superghost team, so I've been watching him a bit more closely than uh, than others might. Um, he gets found out quite often in defence, 1v1, um, and 
a lot of the possessions he has been getting lately have been people passing to him and him panic dump kicking long. Um, when he's at his best, he's potentially the maybe the second most dangerous player on in this list behind Cameron. I, I don't know who the rest of them are, but um, he's just starting to feel a little bit of those wobbles as you start to learn a new position. He's going to have to get better at defending. But I absolutely think he's got a bright future in the half-back line and could be a really dominant player for Essendon there for the next four or five years. Yeah, 100%. Um, at four, um, I think this has is a pretty accurate. Joe Danaher um, played all 20 games, played higher up on the ground, has, you know, career, career high in metres gained. You know, now the one banana at... Brisbane with with Hipwood going down um, and a dramatically consistent year considering where he came from um, and the state in the state of his body you know only you know 18 months ago to be able to put up you know consistently these numbers um, it can only get better from here um, and when Hipwood comes back I think then he won't have uh, that spotlight on him uh, as much and he'll just grow from that. Yeah, there's only one sentence in that that I dispute and that's it can only get better from here. I'm really curious on that because I, I think that Joe Danaher, for him, this year is is kind of what he needed to do. But next year is the turning point year. Yeah. So next year we're either going to work out whether or not it turns out he's a B-grade player um, or whether or not this has been his B-grade year back, acclimatising himself to playing 130 minutes of footy every week um, over the long term and healing with your body. So if he comes out next year and goes to another level, goes back to the A-grader that we know he can be when he rips games apart, um, then I will look back at this year and go, yeah, that was fine. That's the transition period. He's just getting there. But if he plays like this next year and I was Brisbane, I mean, obviously you didn't pay much for him, so you wouldn't be concerned. But I'd be a little concerned that maybe that ceiling wasn't quite there anymore. Mm. Yeah. I'd, uh, yeah, I would just hope that he would get better next year. Mm. Um, at three, um, Sydney's Tom Hickey, um, four-club player, 30 years old, comes in and now is elite for clearances, meters gained, inside 50s, ability to win defensive one-on-ones. Probably top four, fourth best Ruckman, Grundy, no, fifth best Ruckman potentially, him and Draper um, equal equal fifth. Um, yeah, huge, huge steal from, from the Swans there um, for someone – uh, who really no one was really thinking about as a you know potential uh, star ruckman. Yeah, so for me, um, with an idea of who these last last two after him will be, these three are the clear standouts in terms of recruits. The Cameron, if he played enough games, would be above them. But yeah. um, these these three are the ones that have changed their teams. They've they've made a a genuine difference and could potentially take them to the next level. Um, of the three of them, Tom Hickey is the best case of uh, having a hole and plugging it. Um, yeah. Sydney's weakness was their ruck stocks going into this season. It was 
a problem. They weren't getting first use of the ball at contests. It wasn't allowing the likes of Parker and Kennedy to do what they do best. And it wasn't allowing the likes of Haney and Mills to develop. And now look at it. It's a completely different side. He reminds me of Shane Mumford in that it's not just about winning, which he does a lot of the time. He wins rock contests, he wins hard balls and everything. But he brings a physicality to the contest that just means you don't get beaten. Like there aren't as many consequences um, that Sydney in the past would have just been demolished in the centre by better teams with better midfields. And whilst they've still had their problems there this season, it's one of their weaknesses. Uh, They're much, much better in that department and they've got an asset in Hickey. Yeah, 100%. Two is Isaac Smith. Um, I think this is pretty obvious. Um, Super consistent considering his age um, and still, you know, incredible kicking efficiency and just wait until the finals. Him in September is almost unmatched um, for anyone, let alone this list. Um, And, yeah, just a clear match winner. Yeah, if there was one thing that Geelong didn't need, and I mean this in a good way, not in a bad way for them, it was they, they didn't need more players that were calm and clutch under pressure with silky foot skills. So what did they do? They went out and bought um, Isaac Smith and Sean Higgins, who were two of the best kicks in the competition, who just <laughs> yep. washed them, just washed them in finals. Those two in finals plus Cameron and... You know, you're adding in the likes of Duncan and Guthrie and Hawkins in there. These kind of guys that were that, that were born for finals. This is what they do. Selwood is Selwood is literally the the finals guy. If you wanted somebody <laughs> to line up with on grand final day, it would be Joel Selwood, despite yeah. his various attempts to knock off people's heads. Um, uh, Isaac Smith's a star. He's had a great season. He's been one of Geelong's best players this season. He'll probably finish top five in the best and various. Yeah, 100%. And the recruit of the year, just coming off a showdown medal, Aliyah Aliyah. Um, you know, averages 15.4 disposals, 6.3 marks, 4 rebounds, and only losing 17.8% of one-on-one contests. He's been so good that Hinkley has sent him into the ruck and forward, and he's still been considered for All-Australian in the back line. So he's clearly the recruit of the year. Um, yeah, there wasn't much Sydney could do. They were offered a future second round pick, which will be, you know, mid thirties. Yeah. Yeah. Mid thirties at the end. So, you know, not a big loss for the, for Port considering they needed a rebound defender. Um, yeah, clearly uh, the recruit of the year. I love Lira Lira. I love everything about him. I love how he goes about his footy. I love his story. I think he's an excellent player, a valuable addition to Port. He's had a great season. Um, I, I don't think he's as clearly the recruited a year as you. I think he's in the bracket with the other two, probably slightly edging them. But it's a, I think there's been a little bit of reactionary to his game on the weekend. He was very, very good, but he has been bested by a few of the better forwards this season. So I think yeah. finals I think finals going to really dictate a couple of these recruits to see... Where we're, how good they really are. If I'm going to put it this way, if Jeremy Cameron plays three out of the four finals, he'll be recruited the year. Yeah. Like I'm calling, I'm calling it now. 
Um, but, you know, the likes of Isaac Smith, Alir Alir, and Tom Hickey could all have a massive influence on the finals and book it in for themselves. Yeah, 100%. Very nice from you, Tom. Um, I'm sure we will make our final decisions on Recruit of the Year when we go through, you know, all of our various wrap-ups at the end of the regular season, at least, hopefully at some point, into finals. Welcome to the Raw Buddies National Grand Final. It's a wonderful day for bodybuilding, isn't it, Alex? Yes, you're so right, Tom. You wouldn't even get a job at the AFL Tribunal. That's how right you are. Boy, these bodybuilders today, they really know how to put on a show. First up, we have Sydney. Yeah, what a strong start to the competition, Alex. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, Tom. This one, my competitor, wants you all to know that they have all that and a bag of chips. Graceful, with a little bit of fire, you know they are always going to deliver. Oh, but look, you see them losing their breath there just as the judges see them. Yeah, and if it's one thing the judges hate, it's seeing a competitor breathe. I haven't seen such a rookie mistake from such a strong favourite. They had excellent form going into this with a body of work that had only minor scratches. Let's see if they can back this up next time against a man that looks like a human kangaroo. Next, we have an absolute smoky they call the power. A strong silent type, this bolt of lightning started the season with great form. But as it went on, they kept losing definition in the pectoral muscle. It got so soft, at one point they tried this new age protein shape called a leer in the rack. How did that one work, Alex? Not very well, Tom. Well, we can see if they can compete for the rest of the day with the other more seasoned bodybuilders. And as they complete their routine, they show up a strong rear end. Could that late thrust see them become the winners? I doubt it, Alex. Their captain is a Jonas brother and not one of the successful ones. Next in this magnificent lineup are the cats. Clearly the most experienced in this call list, don't you think, Tom? Yes, these cats aren't spring chickens, eh? But they do have the ability to perform multiple forms in the one competition, which no other competitor can, can do. The question will remain, can the cats stay out of the bodybuilders' geriatric society long enough to clinch today's prize? Oh, and as we say this, it looks like their hip is falling out of place. It's sort of like an episode of Celebrity Big Brother. It's unwatchable, but you can't look away. Our penultimate candidate for 2021's Raw National Grand Final are the dogs. These young overachievers are certainly in with a healthy chance to clinch it before it's even begun. Yes, they have been there before only five years ago, and they seem likely favourites. Oh no. Oh, the humanity. With only seconds to go, the dog's top half has completely deflated. Now, while some think this isn't a good look for the sport, it's too late to change precedent halfway through a competition. The dogs are now relying on an all-new muscle group called the Shaki muscle. This is unproven, especially at this pointy end of the season. Now, here comes one of the favourites, none other than Satan himself. Yes, if we have a look at his form, he started excellently. You can see the streak of wins down his arm, like a white girl with Japanese characters tattoo. If we move into the midsection, though, it's definitely starting to look a little bit of a leaner stretch. But the strong start means they're still in it moving towards the end. And oof, what a move to finish up. Satan has just turned off the sun, reminding us why he is a potential champion. Well, at this rate, anyone could take home this hot and sweaty cup. 
it's all up for grabs if anyone has the grip strength to take it. We saw several of the top teams drop points this week, Tom. Who did you feel like lost the most? Uh, I think Geelong, just because they lost both Gary Rowan and Zach Tui. I think I think that's underplayed as a huge loss um, for the side, both more than just role players. You know, Tui is you know one of the the bigger bodies in that relatively leaner defence. Um, him and Stewart really take up as the the wider defenders. Um, so with him going down, it does leave them a bit open up and. I understand that Tom Hawkins has, you know, grown accustomed to being by himself on the island, but with him and with Gary Rowan and Jeremy Cameron both out, it will make his life much, much harder. Um, and he's pretty injury prone as well, Gary. So um, I don't know how consistent he'll be come finals time. That's interesting. Geelong's the one I would have been most confident in because Tui will be back for deep finals, not in the short term, but deep finals. I'm not really sure about Rowan, but it seems like only a few weeks for him. Duncan will be back for deep finals. Cameron will be back. So they should have mostly a full-strength team. I would have gone with either of the other two. Um, the Bulldogs, well, the loss was insignificant. They should have won an expected score. Yeah, yeah. But Bruce is a, a structural cog in that team, and he's not coming back. He now has to be replaced permanently for the rest of this season and a good chunk of the next one. So that's a big problem. And Sydney, well, if anything, it's killed them because they won't finish in the top four now. That's pretty much ended that. And without finishing in the top four, it's we know it's almost impossible to win a premiership. So I don't know. Either of those teams I would have picked. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, the doggies seem fine. I think... I know it's a lot of pressure to put on either Shaki or Jamara, but they have a properly good small forward line that really all they need to do is like Tom Lynch in Richmond and just bring it to ground and have the the small forwards kick all your goals. Now, I understand they only have two weeks to change that game style, but their, you know, Midfield is, you know, strong enough to be have the ability to kick goals from, you know, ground ball and stoppages. So I think it will only be a slighter adjustment than people are saying. Um, and I didn't think Sydney were even in it at this point, so <laughs> I completely forgot about them. But yes, <laughs> we can't win it now. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's move into our second battle round, Tom. Ding, ding, ding. All right, I'm going to kick us off here with a little bit of the statistics on goal-kicking accuracy. All right, so they often talk about expected score, and sadly, as a mere mortal, I do not have access to the expected score stats that all of those (laughs) analysts get the opportunity to see. But what I do have, Tom, is I have the total number of scoring shots on goal every week because we have the score each week. So what have I done? I've gone back and I've looked at every single match this season to check the number of times that each team has lost a game in which they had more scoring shots than the opposition. So as a result of that, I can't rule out rush behinds. I can't rule out where the shots on goal were taken. But if they had more scoring shots, then they at least had a bloody good chance of winning the game, didn't they? Yes, 100%. 
So which teams have blown it, do you reckon? Which are the teams in which accuracy has cost them the most games? Give me, give me some ideas. I think, I think number one would be Fremantle this season. So just from this season, Fremantle has only blown one game this season in which they had more shots on goal, scoring shots on goal than the opposition. So that puts them in equal... Hang on, let me count. Interesting, because they're the least accurate team of the year, but they've clearly... They are. They clearly have... Even if they were accurate, they still would have lost. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so if when looking at Fremantle's games in particular, and this was something I noted earlier in the season, there was this talk that Fremantle's accuracy was costing them games. It wasn't. It was costing them being competitive in games. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of games in which they were down by 40 points at three-quarter time because their accuracy had cost them being 15 points down at three-quarter time. Now, you yeah. might win those games from there, but... You weren't You're not actually win. the better team. You just you you could have stolen something. Okay. That's Fremantle's position. So I think St Kilda. De- I know St Kilda definitely the game against Sydney lost, and they were kicked more, more on expected score than us. On expected score, they might have, but the St Kilda Sydney game earlier in the season, St Kilda did not have more shots on goal. Um, if I go back and have a look at it, St Kilda on that day kicked 12-11-83 to Sydney's 13-14-92. So St Kilda wow. only had 23 shots on goal to Sydney's 20, uh, scoring shots to Sydney's 27. St Kilda has only on one occasion this season um, had more scoring shots and failed to lose, and that was the game against Geelong where they so yeah. famously had 0-7 at one point quarter early time. in the second half, in the second quarter. Um, and th- that game was an example of a game in which they, if they kicked straight, they would have won. 100%. Yeah. So just one for St. Kilda this season. So again, equal six, similar to Fremantle. And they're the two least accurate teams overall, if I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I believe so. They're among the bottom five. Interesting. Do you want to know who are the three uh, the teams who have given up the most? Yes. So two teams have on three occasions... Blown games in which they had more scoring shots, but lost the game anyway. They are GWS and Collingwood. Interesting. So GWS's games came against Gold Coast when they lost um, <laughs> by a point in regional Victoria. Um, they also lost when they lost against Richmond earlier in the season. They had more scoring shots that day. Okay. Um, when they lost against St Kilda in round one, they had more scoring shots that day. Mm, interesting. Okay, so that's and then Collingwood. Game. Collingwood also in their round sixteen game against St Kilda, where they came stalling back at the end and nearly stole the game despite being forty points down at three quarter time, mm. as well as their games against Adelaide in round twelve, which to be honest, I forgot Can't completely about, um, and their game against Gold Coast in round seven where they lost, which. That was the game at the okay. MCG where they got quite embarrassed by Gold Coast, but yes, apparently yes, I, I had more scoring shots that day. Really? I wouldn't even pick it. I watched that. They were insipid. I couldn't even tell you that they had more scoring shots. That's interesting. So the interesting one for me, what I chose to look at out of all of this, is which teams have had more games in which they've had more scoring shots than they have had it happen against them if that makes sense. I'm trying to work out how to explain this properly, right? So I'll give you an example. 
to try and explain this better. So I'm going to use GWS as an example to try and explain this better. So GWS have on three occasions, as we discussed, lost games in which they had more scoring shots, but they have on two occasions won games in which they had less scoring shots. The round 16 game against Melbourne, uh, in which they had less scoring shots, and then this weekend against Geelong, in which Geelong had more scoring shots, and they won that game anyway. So for some teams, it swings and roundabouts, but then there's Collingwood, who have lost three games but have not won any games in which the opposition oh, had more scoring shots. So for GWS, they would end one win more than they are now if we restructured the ladder based on number of scoring shots instead of goals, uh, the final score. But Collingwood would be three wins more. And I wonder if Nathan Buckley would still have a job. So that's an interesting one. The other teams which have blown games because of hot, um, scoring shots... Melbourne, two, two of their losses, they had high scoring shots. The games against the games against the Giants in round 16, as we mentioned before, in relation to the Giants. And then the game against Adelaide in round 10. That was the famous deliberate out of bounds decision. Mm. Um, in which both of those games they could have won. And then also the draw means that they're two and a half wins more had they been more accurate with their shooting. Um, Geelong and Richmond have both had two wins, um, uh, sorry, two losses in which they could be more if they had been more accurate with their, with their shooting. The three teams, there are three teams in the competition, Tom, that have not had any games in which they have had more scoring shots and have lost. Can you guess what those three teams are? No, is it, you haven't said Hawthorne for a while, but they're pretty consistently, Low scoring is it Hawthorne? Uh, Hawthorne blew round one against Essendon, so not them. They had more scoring shots that day and lost. Um. All right. Uh, who is it? We- no, West Coast are pretty consistent, so maybe West Coast. Yeah, West Coast, and then the other two teams are Port Adelaide and North Melbourne. So none of those teams have blown games. Interestingly, Port Adelaide and West Coast both have had circumstances. The Carlton game for Port Adelaide and for West Coast, it was the Richmond game in round 13 where the other team has blown an opportunity against them by having more scoring shots. So if we categorise Collingwood as the team that would be three wins further higher if they'd um, been more accurate, then Port Adelaide and West Coast are the teams that are slightly overachieving yeah, because which of their accuracy, out. which checks out as particularly for West Coast as the the most efficient in team in the last you know four years or whatever. Uh, yeah, at least under Adam Simpson. But I think like one of my takeaways from this way of looking at it, in comparison to a lot of the normal stats, are just like which teams are the most accurate, right? Is that there are a lot of teams out there like Fremantle, which are inaccurate when it doesn't matter. Fremantle's most inaccurate game for the season was one of their earlier in the season wins where they kicked 14 goals, 21. Like, that doesn't matter because they won by 40 points. It doesn't make a difference. What I was really interested in here was which are the teams that are not handling pressure? Which of the teams are having close games and are not able to be accurate in those close games? Hmm. Okay. Anyway, that's my stat for this week. Yeah, it 
what you've just described really checks out to the game styles of each team. Um, you know, clearly West Coast will never uh, would have never got been pipped um, and be overachievers as the more efficient. Uh, as I said, one of the more, most efficient clubs over the past five years in existence. Um, the more interesting one is Port. I wouldn't have picked Port as a efficient team inside 50, um, but I guess that makes sense um, if you look at their back line and their forward line as more pillars, um, mm. then uh, you can see that. Um, and then on the other end, yeah, the inaccuracy uh, really cost a few teams. I would have loved to have seen Collingwood win those three games because I think you're right. I think Bucks would definitely still be there if that was so, the case. In fairness, one of them was after Bucks left, the St. Kilda game in round 16. Yep. But there were two earlier games in the season, the game against Colling- uh, the game against Adelaide in round 12 and the game against Gold Coast in round 7. In particular, that Gold Coast game was really central to the narrative yeah, yeah. around Collingwood. Around Bucks, so. yeah, 100%. Anyway, that's me. Tom, over to you. What do you got? All right. So I was lucky enough to sit down with a few of the coaches to make a a new upcoming documentary just titled The Coaches. So here is a little footage, um, audio footage, and pick up from that documentary. So, David, do you have a super ingredient that makes you a good coach? Every coach has a secret ingredient. I don't know a single one who doesn't. Chris, what about you? Of course, I have a super ingredient. Do you think I'm going to go into this game without one? Come on. Leon, do you have a secret coaching philosophy? Um, yeah, but it only seems to work about 50% of the time. Kalaka, so what can you tell us about your secret to coaching? Yeah, well, what of it? Everyone's got one. Mine's just the best. (laughs) David, does the pressure of coaching ever get to you? Well, yeah, I'm still human. Coaches around the league, you know, are told that it doesn't get to them. You know, they think that it'll strengthen the relationship with the media. I said to them, man, I do not care if you build an actual team defense with accountability. I'm good. I'm good. Leon, what about you? Seriously, no matter how many times I save a team from becoming irrelevant as Gold Coast, another player gets injured or leaves to play for Essendon. Sometimes I just want my players to stay here, you know? You know, I'm getting tired. Chris, do you ever feel like settling down, moving to something easier like AFL administration? Yeah, It would be nice, you know, move closer to family, have a relaxing job with seemingly no consequences for your actions. Clarko, what about you? Settle down? Are you kidding? I'm at the top of my game. I'm right up there with the big dogs. I'm so good they sacked me and I'm going undefeated just to show those higher-ups who's the real superhero. Coaches, come on. Leave the saving of the world to those bozos? I don't think so. I don't think so.
It's very solid from you, Tom. I didn't enjoy that insight into the coach's mindset. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I love uh, getting that inside look. Um, hopefully, it'll turn into something uh, potentially on Amazon Prime next 18 months. <laughs> All right. That wraps up our second battle round for this week, Tom. Um, who are you giving the points to this week? I'm not sure this week. Um, I don't know. What when was the last time we had a draw? I reckon we'll call another draw. Let's call another All draw, right. I reckon. It's another draw. Another draw. What does that leave me? Half a point ahead? Yeah. One and a half points ahead? Yeah, half a point ahead. All right. Let's move into another area of the world in which I just continue to be dominant, Tom. It's just, I think, I think this was the week everything fell apart for you, yes? Yes, I think so. I couldn't remember, but I was so, pretty sure. Yeah, I was plus five going into this weekend of tipping, and we had four points of difference over the weekend. You lost all of them. <laughs> Did I really lose all four? <laughs> yeah. So the four Bro. points of difference were Carlton Gold Coast, in which I tipped Gold Coast, and you tipped Carlton. Gold Coast won. Never tipping Carlton again. <laughs> I, tr- I, try- I tried to warn you that Carlton was sporadic. <laughs> And you were like, no, Gold Coast were rubbish last week. (laughs) Um, Richmond, North Melbourne, in which I said, nah, Tom, the Tigers aren't done yet because they're going to play the Giants next week. And that's when their season will end. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, at halftime, I was worried. I thought North were going to run over them. But they came back, the Tigers got up. So that was plus two for me over the weekend. Then we both tipped Port. We both tipped the Swans. So we got one out of that. Um, then Hawthorne Collingwood, um, I thought it was going to be down in Tassie. So I said Hawthorne, turns out it wasn't down in Tassie, but Hawthorne won anyway. <laughs> oh, so bad. I'll take that. And then our final point of difference, the Essendon beat the Bulldogs, both of us tipped the Bulldogs, of course. Fremantle Brisbane, in which I just said, well, Brisbane's the better side here, Tom. I'm not sure why they'd lose. And you're like, no, no, Fremantle will win. And they did not. It was in Perth. They were embarrassed, wholeheartedly embarrassed. embarrassed, which means out of all of your tips, Tom, I believe, I believe you got two for the week. Yeah, two. (laughs) You got Melbourne, thankfully, on Monday night, got you to two, and then you got Port Adelaide as well. Yeah, that's about right. (laughs) Which now gives me plus plus nine, Tom, plus nine with two weeks to go. Yeah. Um, We should make a decision now. Are we counting finals now in our tipping, or are we going to have a separate finals? No, we can try finals. Well, it gives you... That'll be the most points of difference. It'll give you nine more games to catch up, potentially. So you've essentially got three rounds left of games, 27 matches to gain nine tips. You have to tip three, one and three correctly on me. So it's going to be difficult. Let's start with Friday night, Tom. I told you from the outset, I'm tipping the Giants. So if you're back in Richmond... You've got a fair chance with this one, Tom. The Giants hosting Richmond at Marvel Stadium in front of an empty Melbourne crowd. Are you back in your Richmond Tigers in? Yeah, whatever. I'll tip Richmond to, <laughs> to get one out of the way because it's a 50-50 match. You, you, you don't, do you even believe in them? Like, who do you actually think is going to win? I think actually Giants will win, but I need to Oh, really? Yeah. They were all right on the weekend, Richmond. They look back. If, if I hadn't committed myself to the Giants with Toby Green out at this stage is going to the appeals board, I'd be tipping Richmond. But I've already committed myself to the Giants, so. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, 
All right, Hawthorne is hosting the Western Bulldogs down in Tassie. I'd love to be ambitious enough to to help you out by tipping Hawthorne, but I'm not going to. No. <laughs> that would be stupid. <laughs> I will also um, tip Bulldogs. Yeah, both the Bulldogs, even without Bruce, they should be they should be better than Hawthorne. I'm going to give you an absolute freebie here, though, Tom, because if the Saints are going to make finals, of which there's a little bit of hope, given that the Saints won the AFL by Dummies Cup Part 2 on the weekend, they're going to need to beat Geelong down in Geelong. So I'm going to tip them, uh, just to believe, Tom, just to give them that little bit of confidence. Okay, I'll take, a Ge- I'll take that easy Geelong for me. That's an absolute freebie for you there. Now, Carlton will be travelling to Adelaide for Mark Murphy's 300th and final game. Isn't that going to convince you enough they might bring the effort to win this game? Or will you be doing like I'm doing and tipping Port Adelaide? I'm definitely tipping Port. Never tipping Carlton again, even though I need that upset. <laughs> even though they actually show up every second week? It's still no. <laughs> nah, they've lost They've lost the coach. I think they've, co- they've lost the players. It's gone. We, we didn't talk about it, but there's a lot of talk going around at the moment that David Teague is effectively already been sacked. Um, yeah. it, will, it, so, it has the potential to be ugly. Yeah, it, it really could be. It could be. I'm really worried it might be a Shannon Hearn type situation where it's his 300 and they don't, they don't fire a shot. Um, Brisbane are hosting Collingwood. Again, Tom, no favours from me. Sorry, I'll be tipping Brisbane. Have no idea where this game will be at the moment. They're hoping for the game, yeah. but that seems unlikely. At this stage, maybe either Melbourne or potentially the Northern Territory. Yeah, I think uh, Brisbane as well. I can't un- not tip them. I mean, I'm trying to be fair, Tom, but this is just not a fair round. You're going to need to take yeah. some risks of your own. <laughs> North Melbourne are hosting Sydney at Etihad Stadium, um, what commonly known as Marvel these days. Um, you can tip North if you want. I won't be. I'll be tipping Sydney. Yeah, I'll make this one of the upsets. I'll tip North. Fine. Oh, it's gonna. Is it now that you're out of the top four contention, you're willing to tip against your boys? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the traitor that you are. Nice to see you show your true <laughs> colours. <laughs> um, the last two teams, the last time these two teams played earlier in the season, Tom, it was an absolute thriller. We discussed it earlier. Melbourne hosting Adelaide. It is, however, first to be 17th on the ladder. Uh, Tom, I'll be tipping Melbourne. You can tip whoever you like. Yeah, I'm tipping Melbourne as well. <laughs> how many... How many points of difference does that give you? One, three. two, three. That's not enough, Tom. Not enough. But this it's round is horrific for me. Well, but we thought that last week, Tom. Who would have thought that the Giants would beat Geelong, that Essendon would beat the Bulldogs, the Saints no, would beat the Swans, I, I, Tom? I've timed I run wrong. <laughs> you needed to time it last week. Well, what the interesting thing was, was you did time it last week. You took all of these gambles. You just picked all of the wrong ones. <laughs> wrong gambles. <laughs> yep. Uh, very nice. All right. Gold Coast is hosting Essendon wherever. I don't know where they'll be hosting them. <laughs> Hope, hopefully, for Gold Coast's sake on the Gold Coast, much more likely, again, either the Northern Territory or more likely somewhere in Melbourne, probably Etihad Stadium. Um, if the Saints are going to make finals, Essendon needs to lose one of their last two games to either the Gold Coast or Collingwood, I suspect. Um, so I'm going to give you another absolute freebie <laughs> and tip <laughs> <No>. Gold Coast. <laughs> Thanks for being the, uh, <laughs> the socialist that you are. I'll gladly tip <laughs> Essendon in that one. 
That was an absolute government handout. Right <laughs> what, are, what are we calling this one? It can't be like, what are we calling it? Tip keeper? Yeah, tip keeper. <laughs> All right, the final game. I'll, I'll call it now because I'm actually genuinely not sure who's going to win this game. I'll tip whoever you don't. On Sunday afternoon, we have the, what are they? It's the Derby over there, is it? Or is it Derby? I always forget. Which one's which? The Derby. No, no, no. Derby, it, Derby. The Derby. Doesn't matter. The Derby, I think it is in Perth. Yeah. Fremantle is hosting West Coast. They should have a good crowd in there, yeah. though. So it hopefully will be a Fremantle home game. Yeah. Um, I, I could make a case for either of them. West Coast is playing terribly at the moment. Fremantle shows up every second week and they were dreadful last week. So whichever you, whoever you want to back in, I'll take the opposite. I'll take West Coast. He's backing in the favourites, giving himself... A bit more confidence. I'll tip Fremantle. I could I can make a case, you know, Tom, as I said last time to you when I backed them in, Darcy, Chera, Brayshaw, Sarong. It's a devastating midfield. And this yeah. West Coast, like, they're just really not good. <laughs> no. Um, this will be do or die for both of these teams as well. What I love about this stage of the season is when we get these elimination finals early. So the Giants and Richmond are basically playing an elimination it's playing final. For, it's playing for eighth spot, isn't it? Yeah. Virtually, virtually. Although both teams could technically finish higher than that. The the Geelong St Kilda is an effective final for the Saints. It's an elimination final for Geelong. They're playing for a home qualifying final. Not sure whether yep. or not that'll make a difference at this stage. Um. Then we have finally West Coast Fremantle, which that in its own regard will be. Do or die for both of these teams. If Fremantle lose, that's their season. They're over. And if West Coast lose, well, they're not quite done yet, but it's going to make it real difficult with a trip yeah. to, to Brisbane next week. So I no, I think they're hosting Brisbane. I take that back. But it'll still be very difficult. It's still a tough draw. Anyway, that's our tips for this week. Hopefully with how many points of difference is that, Tom? Five? I've, you gave me... T- I know, oh, I know you gave me two freebies. <laughs> and I gave you North. So I just ruined everything. From Tipping North, but you know what? It is what it is. If 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 <laughs> I if my predictions are, I reckon of my the two I gave you will be absolute freebies. The two fifty fifties you'll get right, and then I'll get North. <laughs> yeah. So you'll get four back next week, I reckon. Oh yeah, four back. So I'll get four from back. nine to five. Yeah, and we'll be back where we started last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right that's our show for this week thank you very much for joining us i hope you all enjoyed it you can find us in all our normal places facebook twitter not twitter i cut the twitter because it was boring instagram um all the normal podcast places tom yeah Podcast, apple podcast spotify anchor all of them thank you very much for joining us we hope to see you next next week for what will be um, the round 22 show. We're getting very close to the end of the regular season, Tom. Um, yes, very close. Very excited for finals. I am very excited as well. My name is Alex Henry. I'm Tom Creaser. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.